Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Kalianis, how's it going? Can you hear me? I'm good. Can you hear me? I can indeed. Perfect. I went through about five sets of headphones here to make sure I found one that was working, so... We're all good. I, I'm really good. It's a sunny day in Wicklow. I'm out um, planting some seed potatoes and uh, there was a nice frost this morning. There's frog spawn all over the place and it's very, very springy. Wow. Very springy. So, newts. So, in this episode, we are talking about something a little bit different. Can you tell me what we're talking about? Yeah, so we're talking about a a new arrival to Ireland, and it's the Alpine Newt. And we're talking about some of the research uh, a colleague of mine, Anya, is is doing into them, how they might or may or may not affect the habitat that they encroach on, and how... They may or may not affect native wildlife, all those good things. And we're meeting your uh, colleague, Aina, in a very special place. Can you describe where we're meeting? I invite you just down to the Frog and Toad for uh, <laughs> a, a, wee, a wee chat. But we, we were very good. We stayed reasonably sober. So, um, yeah. But what is the Frog and Toad? The Frog and Toad is, is a bar I built in, in my shed because <laughs> there's no local pubs up here. So I needed somewhere to go just to have a, a wind down at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's um, and aptly named for the area it's in anyway, surrounded by ponds. <laughs> I have to say the, um, the Frog and Toad is truly extraordinary. It's a garden shed but from the outside. But when you walk into it, it's an old fashioned pub and it's fabulous. And you made all of the stuff yourself, didn't you? Like, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, I made it from recycled materials. All the walls and the bar itself and everything is is all made from pallets and bits of wood and, and bits of junk I found. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a passion project, <laughs> but it's very, it's very cool now. It's the coziest country pub that you've ever seen except you get three people into it it's amazing so I hope everybody enjoys the episode it's a fairly interesting episode it's also um, I think a pretty important one and it's lovely to meet Aina as well so we hope you enjoy the episode yeah I think Aina is a a top young science communicator up and coming scientist Um, and I think uh, it's a very interesting episode not just particularly about this species we're talking about but about invasives in general um, or introduced species in general and um, what they can get up to
Right. I got my my little uh, Your uh, nicotine, so oh, I don't have to good. go. Very, very good. So we're in the Frog and Toad. Yeah. And we are here with who are you? Um, my name is Ian Yorkasik. <laughs> uh, what are you doing here? Uh, well, I'm here to talk about newts, uh, alpine newts. Um, so yeah, uh, we're here to talk about the guys that are sitting in front of us on this table that obviously your audience can't see. Yeah. <laughs> so we're sitting in, in the tiny Frog and Toad pub and in front of us on the tiny table is a container with newts, but they're different. They're special newts. And you have a story about the first day that you met these. Yeah, so I suppose we better start seven years ago. Uh, Enya was in college in TCD, so we would have met there, become friends over the years. And uh, you'd been out a couple of times with me doing field work and and sampling on our our native newt. Uh, I had my eye in, as Collie would say, on what the smooth newt might look like. Yes. And lo and behold, we see this newt when I I work as an ecologist. Uh And we found these newts. I was like, there's something a bit strange going on here there's something weird afoot so I messaged Collie yeah and I, I was uh, driving on the uh, frogmobile at the time and I kind of I was at traffic lights and I just pulled up the picture I was like oh what's that? and I saw straight away I was like where the fuck did you find that and I just kind of was excited to see because you're already excited to see mm. something weird and uh, I just assumed it was in a local housing state or somewhere you were doing some work in but it, it turns it, out it was in bang in the middle of the countryside right. on a bog that was at least 10 kilometres away from any of the villages or any big town that might be yeah. able to facilitate the transport of newts because obviously you'd need maybe a garden centre that would have newts um, being sold there or maybe even pet trade or something like that. That didn't exist in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what are they? Well, yeah, to me, I'm looking at these newts and they look like newts. Yeah. Mm. But they're not... Are a native newt? No, so to the trained eye, you can you can see that these guys are slightly different. They're a tiny bit bigger, but also if you flip them over, as I like to do, you, you'll see that they have. Holly's reaching in now. A completely got one there. unspotted oh, belly. A totally orange belly with yeah. no spots, and no. that to you meant that it was weird. Okay. For lack of a better term, it was definitely different because the smooth newts have spotted bellies, right. both males and females. So this is not a native species, and what is then? The name of it. Yeah. So the name of it is the Alpine Newt, mm-hmm. uh, Ichthyosaur alpestris, or as I've called it now in Irish, Antarc Schleva. Did you uh, coin that in Irish? Yeah, it did. Great. It has cool. to be used. Yeah, um, fantastic. It's a continental European species, and it's known as an invader in a lot of different areas because they're incredibly beautiful as you look at them. They are. And people noticed that and were like, my God, there might be, there might be a pound to be found in this. So... Since the 1920s, they've been introduced over to the UK and they have made it into New Zealand. They've also been introduced into different areas in Poland where they are in Poland generally native, but it's not across the entire country that their distribution is in areas where it's not native. Mm -hmm. There are serious concerns when they do find them. Mm -hmm. They found them in Spain as well Mm -hmm. and they found them in France even though they are native mm. to both France and Spain, they found them outside of their regions and that big, big concerns yeah. for conservationists. So why, why are you worried then that they're here? What do they do? In, in terms of what the big problem is, is that they could potentially spread a disease called chytridiomycosis. And chytridiomycosis is a disease that was first identified in around 1995. 
and as a result of that we use bleach on everything that we we use because we have some beer to wash yeah. our hands afterwards yep and it's it's so vitally important because over 40 percent of amphibian populations across the entire world are in decline uh, as a result or implicated with chytridiomycosis. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if you're looking to find out about chytrid and what it does, you can throw back to a brilliant episode of The Critter Shed <laughs> with Rob Gandola, who's also working on this project with us, our mate Rob in the HSI. So, um, the Herpetological Society, Society of Ireland. Yeah, the herpes crowd. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, what do I need to know about these guys? So what you need to know is that they could potentially spread a disease called chytrid. Yeah. But secondly, as well, they could compete with our native mm-hmm. uh, newt populations. They could also predate on our native newt and frog populations. Mm-hmm. But more than that, too, they actually have a, a toxin called tetrodotoxin. Mm-hmm. It's actually produced by bacteria that live on their skin. Right. Now, our concerns is that this, this neurotoxin, which actually inhibits, it stops the protein or the, the sodium pumps between your neurons. It causes your, basically your nervous system to shut down. Really? Yeah, uh, because uh, your your neurons use sodium to transmit messages. If they can't do that, it's done. They, it won't work anymore. But we're concerned about what if an Irish native species went off, say, a badger and ate 200 of these? What impact would that have? Or arguably what if this one particular buzzard say was really into killing kingfishers who was very into killing these guys we'd start talking about bioaccumulation effects where these toxins start building up in populations and we simply have no idea what tetrodotoxin would do to our native species because it doesn't exist here yeah and it's it's a it's a an interesting one kind of similar to our toad situation up in the the Dublin Hills, where we have a large population of uh, introduced common toads. We're, we're quite anglicised in Ireland. The Wind and the Willows, you know, Ratty Mole and, and, and uh, Mr. Toad. And people just assumed that the toads were just part of the fauna. And I think with, you know, uh, alpines are kind of considered an introduced species they're borderline introduced slash invasive in in the uk yes they're still doing research on it but it looks at least that all of the research that they're doing is how are these guys Mm. invasive that's kind of the research that we are looking to do too can i ask a question then yeah what is the difference between invasive and introduced okay so it's actually quite easy to explain when you break down to the core concepts of it You have non-native species. Non-native species are species that have been moved from one place to the other. And that's easy. The hedgehog in Ireland. Yeah, there you go. Um, It's non-native. No, it's non-native, yeah. No, Um, my jaw just dropped. Now, the rabbit too, there's another example, but the rabbit is invasive because it's not only competing with our native hair, but also it reduces biodiversity. And that's the big kicker. If you have a non-native species that's introduced into a new ecosystem and it reduces the population, it's almost by definition, according to science, an invasive species. But not everybody runs off the scientific book when it comes to invasives uh, or invasiveness in general. It's defined by uh, policy at the end of the day. And policy lags behind science as science leads the way forward. And we're still trying to figure out, even on a European basis, what to do with these guys because they're native in Europe. They are invasive in areas and they do spread disease. So it's not only an Irish problem, it's a UK problem, it's also a European problem. So these guys you found in a a bog, 
Mm-hmm. And they're invasive, which means they're bringing a lot of issues with them and they're bringing this disease with them as well as their toxin. So what do you do then in that situation? Well, this is this is this is where we are at the moment. It's they're brand new, brand new to the island. Um, and, 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 and while I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about Ireland as an island, that is a very important factor here. We've been separated from Europe for hundreds of thousands of years. And the, the fauna that's here has also been separated. And we don't know the effect that these guys are going to have on our, our native amphibians. Aside from the, the threat of diseases, which we have to scream for, we have to go through everything. We don't know the effect or if they have parasites or anything that they could be bringing in. Another factor is on the continent, they have grass snakes, they have great crested newts, they have all sorts of different reptiles and other amphibians that predate specifically on these guys that have evolved beside them to eat them. We don't have them. So what are we going to do here? Is it going to be the the old woman who swallowed the fly and just keep putting in new animals? You can't do that because that's not ethical or smart. So it's a complicated issue and it it really warrants a serious, serious approach. If it was a mammal, I would say there'd be a lot more fuss being made about it at the moment. But because they're the slimy, uh, the, the slimy little uh, newt creatures, they've kind of gone under the radar. Mm. Again, it's only a couple of years we know they're here, but it really does warrant serious scientific investigation and, and you know, just to see what's going on and what the effects are and... How, how they're getting here. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with being able to say we actually don't know. Yeah. You know, the idea of Socratic method in this is imperative because we have to turn around at the end of the day and say we have no idea yet. Yet being the very important word here mm-hmm. because we want to look into this. Mm. They got here likely as a result of humans mm. and obviously they're just animals and... It's not their fault. It's not their fault. But realistically speaking, not only do we have to look at how they got in in order to be able to mitigate that happening again, mm-hmm. but also how do we contain it and how do we remove these threats? Because, for example, the smooth newt is doing terribly mm-hmm. in Ireland. 50% of the ponds in Ireland have been wiped out and they need those ponds really? to be... A, yeah, mm-hmm. like 50% of agricultural ponds in the last 50 years have been wiped out, yes. mainly as a result of us moving towards uh, more intensive agriculture. Mm-hmm. But that knock-on effect is that these guys have no beds to listen to Barry White in. That's not good. That's it. That's exactly (laughs) it. You put a a species like the smooth newt under pressure. Mm. You introduce something that's bigger, hungrier, and could potentially have a snack on the few smooth newt tadpoles and Fs that are emerging. And you're looking at trouble. And, you know, preliminary reports from the UK and anecdotal reports from people that I know who who have worked on sites in the UK have noticed that when the alpines move in, the smoothies tend to drop in number, which is completely understandable. Um, and which is also interesting from our perspective too, considering we've not found that. Mm. We've essentially not found a single smooth newt on any of the sites where we found alpine newts. And that raises concerns because what if we have already lost local extinctions of smooth newts in these areas? We just didn't know because we weren't looking. Mm. That is one of the, the real concerns on my part, because in Ireland, the smooth newt's doing incredibly poor, but over in Australia, for example, in Melbourne, it's invasive. Mm. These guys are declining on the continent. Uh, these guys these, being the... The, the alpine newts, mm. yes. Uh, they're declining on the continent uh, in populations, but when they get over here, 
they're exploding. The common toad in the UK around uh, many of the areas would have been very common is going down in number. Mm. In Dublin, it seems to be increasing in Mm. number. It's the dynamics of them is very interesting from a geeky scientific point of view. It's fascinating. But Uh, it leads you to just kind of sit there and start spitballing in ways of how is this? What have we... That's what I was going to ask. How do they make numbers of our native newts drop? Well, A, via competition. Mm. Obviously, less prey resources would allow you to have less children in the long run. But also, we haven't found chytrid yet in our preliminary screenings, but that's only from one year, Mm. you know, and we're going to be doing this till Jesus the cows come home. Mm. That's the only way we'll guarantee that chytrid isn't coming into the country. Sorry, remind me where these guys are actually native to. So they're Uh, called alpine. Yes, and it actually is a bit misleading considering you'd be able to find them not only in mountainous areas, but also valleys across continental Europe. You can find them. There's one population in northern Spain, Mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware. And then they go unbroken from southeast France all the ways, all the ways over to the Russian steppe. Oh. which is a huge, wow. yeah, a huge yeah. area to cover. And they have seven subspecies wow. uh, of alpine newts. Now, as we're looking at them here, they're in this container in front of us. They are incredibly beautiful. Yeah. They look like large tadpoles sort of with legs and, and thicker bodies. They're just very beautiful. And if you look at it, you can see the dimorphism between the males and the females. Dim- mm. Dimorphism means sexual dimorphism, and that means that the males and the females don't look the yeah. same. Think of it. You and I are sexually dimorphic. Yes, we yes. are. We are. Um, thank God for you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, think of a, a rooster and a hen. You know, mm. you, you'd be able to tell one from the other. And that, it's the same with this species. You can see the males that are smaller here. Mm. They've got a nice fan tail. They haven't got that crest that our native little water dragons have, the, the, the smooth newts. But they do have very bright colours. Mm. Um, the, uh, and for displaying for the females and they have the, the large uh, ball bag for want of a better word between the, the, the legs at the back and that's where no they'll scientific term yeah, yes. oh, yeah, but that's where they'll deposit their sperm packets and the females will collect the sperm packets internally and fertilise another reason they can compete as well against the native species is because they tend to spend a lot more of their time in the water and they go back to the water earlier than our ones uh-huh. so they've, they've got a head start yeah so they're physically taking up the space yeah yes in a huge amount of different ways because say if they, they were competing with smooth newts if they were able to outcompete them that's an issue if they were eating say frog spawn which is one of the things that our smooth newts love mm-hmm. they'd go absolutely berserk for that kind of stuff the, these guys would be there before them obviously yeah. because yeah. the the frogs will lay the eggs in the in the pond and the lads will arrive down first mm. and the smooth newts will arrive down and it's not feast or famine it's just straight up famine for them it's like people Anyways. going down early to put their towels on the best oh, the yeah, best yeah, place yeah. on the like beach all, like all the Europeans <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it, <laughs> that's it yeah. maybe that's it here's an interesting thing I'm going to take this uh, uh, so I put in some pond weed with them earlier on um, well earlier on as in yesterday evening and if you look at that you can see a lot of little gelatin balls here ah so they they've are. They've laid eggs. They've laid eggs. Whoa. And you can see on that one there, there's probably 30 eggs on it yeah. in a day. So that's only the length of your arm. Yeah. So they are prolific. Yeah. Prolific layers of eggs. So, so I'm going to tell you now what I learned from our other podcast about newts. So I learned that the newts sort of lay individual eggs and mm-hmm. then they'll wrap them, wrap the eggs in leaves. And yeah. it's the same thing happening same with these Same thing guys. here. You can see some of them are wrapped, but sometimes they just 
throw them out all over the place. Okay. There's a lot of wrapped ones here and then there's some just free on, on the branch. But the, the females of these species are bigger, so we'll be able to lay bigger and more eggs. Right, so, right. so uh yeah, there's a number of com- um, competitory factors involved yeah. in, in, in them getting here. Um, it's a whirlwind, really, that they're here. I'm not going to lie, it's very exciting yeah. from a nerdy scientific point of view, but it is also concerning from yeah. that same point yeah. of view as well. And there's all sorts of ethics involved in, in these kind of questions that we'll have to really seriously look into. They're obviously established here in the country. Whether we could get rid of them even is a question we're going to have to answer. New Zealand they're struggling to do it they get rid of them and then a population appears somewhere else because they're so prolific yeah. they'll just start off again and, and again you could not notice them for years yeah. and then they just well especially just, considering how different our lives are to theirs in ways they head off for all of winter and you'd only see them at night more ah. than likely because they're very crepuscular out forward slash they, they love going out at night that, there's one there just up against the, the glass now and you see that amazing orange underbelly mm. yeah, it's incredible you've just lifted there. it out now and beautiful yeah. gorgeous oh somebody had a, a chunk out of her leg there as well you okay. can see but um, g- growing back very tough little creatures yeah. um, I won't eat a sandwich after handling her yeah. yeah. but um, amazing and amazing to think how they've set up so well here interesting as well and worrying down the line is here's another one so you have in mainland Europe we have a very beautiful salamander called the fire salamander Mm. which has unfortunately gotten infected with chytrid in Holland and and Germany and place to the the extent that massive populations are completely on the verge of collapse they've had to take away breeding adults that are healthy to kind of keep them as a in an arc basically mm-hmm. to to ensure that they can put them back at once we've kind of established how to deal with a chytrid outbreak now they're also in pet trades they also breed around places that would have uh, aquatic centers that would breed plants that would be shipped around the world if an animal like that is on the verge of extinction ends up in ireland doing well in ireland mm. What do you do then? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, which could happen. You know, could happen down the line. Could already be going on. There could be another species of new here. There could be great crested newts here. Historically, because they used to sell them in pet shops. I remember great crested newts when I was a kid were regularly sold in a pet shop in Crumlin in Dublin. Wow. Like it's, that, And that would be unheard of now. That's 40 odd years ago. You know what I mean? But um, it's opening up a Pandora's box mm-hmm. f- for want of a better word. But it, it really is fascinating. And again, we we've a lot to answer for as people that uh, ship them around and move plants and move containers that might have these creatures in them. Mm. But, uh, but also fog in the middle of nowhere, like yes. But well, this is this is the thing. the thing. So like you can't the fourth the fourth <laughs> the fourth thing everybody was saying like a pet trade, and it's like not many people you know I mean have have exotic pets yeah. in in a bog in the middle of nowhere. Obviously we're. We can't give away too much details because it's still uh, well, uh, roughly the middle of nowhere. The middle of nowhere is is yes, yeah. like far away from civilization. And we've also found them in tree middles of nowhere yes, now at yeah, this point. Exactly, yeah, we're finding them everywhere, and they're well established yeah. everywhere. And it's like, it's how do they arrive in these places? Is the first question to be answered, and then after that, then it's kind of like as we were saying. What do we do? Well, that's the human aspect of yeah. it as well, Collie. And I, I think understanding the socio 
aspect of this is incredibly important and one of the ways that I think is a really good example of this is actually during World War One, because all of these exotic plants were moved around in the 19th century and there would have been a huge amount of money. So take your rhododendron, your Himalayan balsam, your Japanese knotweed, the ones that are everywhere now, yeah. the ones that you could literally take, step outside the lovely frog and toad now, throw a stone, you'd probably There's hit one. There's a rhododendron just there. Looks absolutely stunning, but yeah. is invasive because... Uh, well, it produces, Jesus, I think, over a couple of million seeds oh every God, so single it's, year. It essentially pushes everything out. And it has an expansion range because it, it spreads via the wind of over 600 kilometres. Yeah, yeah. But as well, the aspect of it that I found fascinating was that when World War One broke out, these plants would have been held inside in really well-to-do gardens from... You know, like Sir Thomas Edward Charles mm-hmm. the fourteenth. The that was the fashion of bringing plants back oh, from yeah, travels yeah. during the late eighteen hundreds, yeah. the golden age of, but of as, science. Yeah. But as well, you could make a fortune mm-hmm. if you were to say, I don't know, monopolize rhododendron sales in France. So you're after taking the seeds of rhododendron. You're after bringing it all the way across the Eurasian continent. Something that was very dangerous to do back then. Mm-hmm. You get it home. You try and germinate these seeds. If you manage that, you are a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when you put it in the context of what happened in World War One, the gardeners were keeping these guys under control because they were coming along, they were pruning them, and they were getting paid to prune them. And obviously, this would have been an incredibly skillful trade. But the gardeners got sent to war in 1914. And when they came back in 1918, some of them didn't. Some of them didn't come back in the same way that they went out. But the genie was officially out of the bottle because giant hogweed started spreading all over the place. Rhododendron was all over the place. Japanese knotweed was all over the place. And it takes time before people realise what's going on. Mm -hmm. The first time we actually knew what was going on with giant hogweed, it was children coming home with burns all up their arms and burns down their legs because it's a phytotoxic plant. It means that if you get it on your skin and you expose that to sunlight, you're going to get serious burns all up your hands and picture the poor kids coming home to their parents, not being able to describe this to them. Now, to me, it's similar because we have an acknowledgement of what we can do. We have far bigger brains than these poor lads. Mm. We can mediate the change now by talking about what we have, what is native and what isn't and acknowledging and getting our eye in on what actually is native is probably our best defence against non-native species coming in and becoming invasive as a result of that. That's fascinating about the... That's yeah, really interesting about the... Crazy stuff. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never knew that. So, yeah, yeah thanks for telling us that. That's really, really cool. Uh, it, it is weird because if you walk up the road here, I was saying to Colette earlier on, if you go for a little stroll up to our... There's a, a pine forest with a, a nice strip of native forest beside it. And right now it looks stunning. It looks like something out of mm. uh, Star Trek because you have all these blooms of rhododendron. And everybody around the neighbourhood will talk about it and say how stunning it is at this time of year. And of course, my other cap is on going, it is beautiful, but it's horrendous as well because it's shadowing all the, the forest floor plants that would, the, the ferns and the native bluebells and all the stuff that would have been out there. But uh, yeah, it really, it really shows the impact that these non-native species can have and, and the damage they cause. I mean, they overran Killarney National mm, Park yeah. and some of the fires that were caused there were caused by rhododendron bushes, you know? Well, as well, uh, one of the, the things that we can start talking about too is the idea of acknowledging, look, it, this is a problem, but we need to go out and do something about it, mm. stat. Mm. Um, now, there 
it gets more complex when you really start thinking about it. For example, the butterfly bush is technically a medium impact invasive species, but it's a really important pollinator plant. But here's the question. Are they just using our pollinators to really take off? What, uh, <laughs> like, you know, it, 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 you, there's so many different ways you can look at it. Is that the Budlia? Yeah, Budlia. Yeah, they're everywhere. Absolutely <laughs> they're everywhere. They're one of those uh, plants that grows out of chimneys in yeah. the middle of town. It's oh, like... there's, there's one uh, coming out of the, the central bank outside Trinity. That's it's brilliant. literally popping right out of the, and like if you have a walk through Galway, you probably see more Budlia Davidite than people. Yeah. You know, <laughs> is that the sort of pink coloured stuff yeah. that you yeah. run out of the cracks? Yeah, and it yeah. kind of yeah. looks like a big, a big cone yolk. coming yeah. out of yeah. the top. Yeah, they are gorgeous. And it's, it, like, it, it's amazing how they can survive on almost nothing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and to think, as you were saying, that a, a couple, only less than a hundred years ago, yeah. people would have been practically looking after that in the greenhouse yeah. in a lord's manner. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing to think. So you're faced with this amazing mystery. How in God's name did the newts that you saw get up into these three out of the way places that you found them in? So you're a detective now. What are you going to be looking at for your PhD? Well, first of all, we're trying to um, we're trying to identify how far they've gotten already. Yeah. That'll be able to give us an indication as to how long they've been here and what we can do from there. We could go out and be like, right, we're going to we're going to wipe them all out in the morning, which we're not. <laughs> but we could try. And we'd probably fail because we have no idea what, like what we're dealing with. Mm. You know, we also want to see how they're invasive mm. because, yeah, we could turn around and say they're a non-native species, but how are they reducing biodiversity? Mm. And the other aspect of it as well, for me, is at least being able to identify, is there an ecological release? And what I mean by an ecological release is have a certain amount of the conditions that would have applied pressure to them on their native environment been removed? And I. No grass snakes. No grass yeah, snakes. No, no nothing chowing down on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the big question. I'm going to call uh, when my wife leaves for a weekend away and I go mental on the beer. <laughs> an ecological release. An ecological release. That could be taken in a few ways. <laughs> oh my God, no, I didn't mean that way. Well, oh, yeah. E. coli release sounds like you're... E. You're, coli. No, no, it sounds like he's going to put his mind onto the, the cyber space and yeah. take over the world. No. <laughs> he's going to dampen it down with alcohol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it's fascinating. It's one of these stories that I think in the next couple of years we're going to be getting really stuck into this um, and I think it's going to be one to watch from a very interesting citizen science point of view, which is we're going to be engaging in that same as we did with the toads, as in get, getting people familiar with what these look like. Mm. And more importantly, as Anya said, getting people familiar with what our own native species look like. So mm. if they see something odd, they can go. Like I did. Yeah. Exactly. And message someone who might know. Well, here's me now. So I, I have, I've only seen newts, smooth newts a few times. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert. But looking at those, the one thing that jumps out at me is their underbelly. Is that mm. orange underbelly typical of this particular species? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, if, you, if you were to see that, it's it's indicative enough. Obviously, uh, a book, a guide would help you along the way. And the other aspects of it, some of the other things that you can use is that the males have a tiny crest okay. that you can see. And they also have a spotted flank, yeah. which is really, really nice. Mm. They also have two different phases. They have an aquatic phase where they kind of look blue in the water. It's kind of like a bluey grey colour. Yes. But when they're out of the water, as I first found one, they almost have like a marbly, mottly skin. And it almost looks like velvet. Mm. It's very interesting. And as Kali was alluding to earlier on, it's these differences in terms of the timings of what they do. Mm. Because bear in mind, 
as Kali said as well, like we've been isolated from Europe since the last uh, glacial maximum, like 10,000 years ago. All of these species have lived, evolved, adapted in isolation to all of these species. So while yes, it is absolutely true that these guys coexist on the continent mm. with our smooth newts in the same way that the white-tooted shrew, and who's our fella? Uh, the pygmy the pygmy shrew um, I'm, the small I'm, lad I'm not into mammals not <laughs> oh, another one here we go yeah. no I don't do mammals I'm probably with a house full of mammals yeah, yeah. there's me with my tree cats as well <laughs> <laughs> but it's fascinating because yeah of course they coexist but these guys or our smooth newts have been isolated living and evolving uh, by themselves not in competition mm. with these guys now, these guys are hot-wired for competition because mm. they've been living and coexisting Absolutely. and even partitioning their niches with these other youth yeah. species, mm. which the smooth newt in Ireland has never had to do. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, that's a really very important point, And that's it. So these guys are used to scrapping for everything, mm. for every bit of space, whereas our lads have been living the high life on their own. Yeah. The smooth newt have been living a very, very luxurious life with no competition for other newt species. So, yeah, that that's another one. They're already ready to go in that kind of uh, competition aspect. So, yeah, come here. Look, I, I just find it all very interesting. It's kind of scary as well, but um, it's better that we know about that we don't. Mm. Yeah. And it brings with it that ever-present issue of ethics. And it's not these animals' fault, as we were chatting about mm. earlier. All of this is caused by humans and presumably you have to work on a set of ethical guidelines and have that particular conversation about yeah. taking out individuals and yeah. how you take out individuals and all that discussion would have to be part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I think the the aspect that is crucial too is that, look, these guys are unfortunate because we've caught them. God bless them. Like, what, what we want to do is ensure that we don't have to do this anymore, you yeah. know? It's fascinating, especially when you start looking at invasive species in general, mm. because in our globalised world, we have reduced the borders and the barriers between over there and here. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't seem too far anymore, especially in the world of planes and boats that bring you around the world in, mm. what, 24 hours. Well, yeah, We don't want to get down the road of, uh, the, we don't want these to be the Irish cane toad. Yeah. And everybody knows the story with the cane toad and what devastation they caused in Australia. Yeah. And it's only starting to get under wraps now. And largely down to nature. There's a, a very good point as well, because, you know, well, they've had to help a couple of the native mammals along in great programs. I think we discussed that before on the Critter Shed, where they got possums and uh, uh, fed them liquidized toads to a small degree to make them sick and give them the worst possum hangover ever. And... Uh, uh, and then let them back out. Another great thing that's happening in Australia is the COVIDs have figured out that if they flip them over, some of the... Corvids. Corvids have... Yeah, COVID is on my brain. <laughs> um, have learned to uh, flip them over and eat them from the underbelly. A couple of the smarter, large monitor lizards down there are doing similar things mm. as well. So it's kind of a pushback there. They're also, instead of people being traumatised, collecting... Well, I don't think the Australians get that too traumatised about killing toads, but they should, they don't seem to care. But... A much more ethical way that they're dealing with them now is with uh, they've discovered that the cane toads, tadpoles are quite carnivorous mm. and, you know, they'll eat each other. And if a, a toad spawns later in the season, the tadpoles that are already there will swim over to the spawn and munch that. Well, it, it's fascinating you bring that up because uh, the green shore crab that we have here is invasive over in the States. 
and some brilliant marine biologists, they actually are brilliant, they, they fecked up this one, but they decided to try and eliminate as many of these crabs as they possibly could. In the States? In the States, yeah, I believe in California. Mm-hmm. And when they did this, they went off and they combed the shore for every single one of these crabs that they had and they put them all in a big bag and they got rid of them. What happened was that these guys are actually cannibalistic. Ah. And all of the the crab larvae exist in solution. They have to eventually sit down and become crabs themselves. What they did was they wiped out the lads that were keeping them in control. Ah. And the population blew up. So what the Australians are doing with the with this discovery of the tadpoles eating the later spawn, they've created a, f- a synthetic spawn that gives off that smell. They put it in these lobster pots, essentially. The tadpoles from all over the lakes now are crammed in mm. to eat these. They take all the tadpoles out, wipe out a whole generation wow. and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. So there'll always be cane toads. You're never going to get rid of cane toads. But now they have a natural ish method of keeping the numbers under wraps they can turn the toads into fertilizer or into food or something for for something else mm. a, a really good solution and you know uh, and god loved the, the cane toads in the first place because they were actually brought in to deal with a yeah. sugar yeah. beetle problem which was, yeah. was brought in by sugar yeah. cane was which that the 1950s or what that's the 1930s 1930s yeah so it's taken that long for First of all, the local animals to work out how to to get around the toxin, and yeah. second yeah. of all, for us to figure out how to mitigate. Yeah. But also, they in the time that it took us to figure that out, they conquered an entire mm. continent. Yeah, mm. so they, they just stopped short of. Per, is it part of Darwin? Darwin. Did they get that far over? They've they, they gotten past Darwin. They've gotten, they, they've gotten into the uh, since two thousand and seven. They're in the the yeah. Western Australia. And if you look at some of the research into cane toads, this is going to be a cane toad episode. Yeah. But I mean, like, <laughs> we, we actually love cane toads. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. we have we have two. Yeah, but um, the size of them, like they just kept growing and growing, yeah, wow. huge sizes because they had again the ecological release there where they had no natural predators they could eat and eat and eat and there was so much bugs in Australia that they could just get huge what is going on with these guys mm. these these alpine newts in Ireland mm. are they doing the same thing are they bigger than their friends on the continent we've very lucky in the fact that our, our friend Rachel from Trinity is over in the UK shout out to Rachel and she's going to be doing her PhD she's doing her PhD, PhD yeah. in, in on the same beautiful species so it's going to be a bit of an Irish takeover uh, on this end of the European. Yay! Yay. Yes, absolutely. Oh, no, yeah. we're very we're very lucky because it's going to be a bit of an Irish takeover on this end of the European continent to, uh, you know, to to showcase what we know on on amphibians and mm. and I'm very excited as well because it's a a new generation of people, especially from Trinity, coming out and and getting their their uh, paws into this really interesting and really essential essential research you know well, so we're sort of breaking news here this is sort of a yeah. new groundbreaking thing yeah. and it we'll is, hopefully yeah. be hearing from you later oh well you can have me back on yeah of course yeah, well, <laughs> what would be nice to do is to go down to one of the sites and show you because Absolutely. it is mental when yeah. you get down it's it's crazy when you see the amount of them and especially it's just when like, the cans come out like. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's after we do the research but uh yeah it, it's very we did we were uh jostling whether we should go public at all mm. earlier on mm-hmm. but obviously you want to kind of lock it down and 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 get the message out there um 
so and you went to the to a couple of the, the it's been national news mm. uh brought up in the doll yeah. yeah in the in the irish parliament right. so um it's 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 getting traction we we just need really now uh for a lot more of the scientific community to kind of get on board and give us a, a the, the the finances and the the support we need to to get this but as well, we, we need we need caution yeah. as well with this. And I think caution is probably the fucking score that we could leave with this on. It's like your your final word. You <laughs> yes. know, um, it's the idea of that this is the thing that people are going to be going home being like, my God, Jesus, wasn't that fucking score something? <laughs> you know, um, the, the idea is caution because yeah. if we just take it from a very human perspective of we don't know, mm. We need to look into it. And the best way to be able to look into it safely is with caution yeah. than any of these species. Mm. And even when we start looking at our, our lovely alpine use, one of the best indicators that we can use mm. in science for how potentially invasive this might be mm. is to look at other similar countries. Mm. The UK is currently doing the exact same research. New Zealand has branded them as an invasive species and they're like... Jesus, it's like Ireland down south. Yes. Almost yeah, in New Zealand. They, 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 obviously, New Zealand will be per- particularly protective of their fauna after all the disasters that's happening down there. They're Which almost... They're possible. Yeah. Tasmanian, the, all, all the sorts of stuff that, 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 that's gone on down there. So it is, it is very wise to be cautious, very wise to be taking this seriously and, and looking into it and seeing what we can figure out and mm-hmm. how to deal with it mm-hmm. down the line. And, uh, and another important factor is getting pe- pe- the ordinary people involved so they can help out as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess my next question is, who's who's round, is it? <laughs> it's mine. Yeah, we absolutely. have some, uh, we have some blackberry wine. Get, get that bell going now. <laughs> Time. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for coming, man. No I really appreciate it. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns